Oh, dang. Now we're going. Wait, now I have to minimize it. Oh, winner. Okay. So this is uh, Recovered AF. <laughs> I know I start and I just talk so loud. This is Recovered. I think I just get excited. This is Recovered AF Podcast. I'm so excited. <laughs> Kyle's next to me now. He's going to talk. <laughs> Good intro, dude. Uh, yeah. This is where we do a disclaimer. We're not affiliated with any 12-step group. Uh, those groups don't have spokespeople or representatives. If they did, they wouldn't pick Aaron because he doesn't even know how to use a computer. <laughs> and they wouldn't pick me because um, I don't know what the hell I'm talking about most of the time. So just to make it clear, those groups don't have spokespeople or representatives. So anything that's discussed on this podcast is just Aaron's experience, my experience, or when we have a guest like today, his or her experience. They wouldn't pick Kyle because he's not really a member of a 12-step program. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. So uh, why don't you introduce our guest today, Aaron? Okay. Our guest today is Audrey Audrey. She, I was not. I was going to do this whole thing with the Snoop Dogg rap. <laughs> likes to party, but it's Audrey. I can't do it. It's too embarrassing. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks. What's up, Audrey? Hi. How are you? I am great. How are you guys? Yeah. We're hanging in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Aaron is on one today, so that's how we are. So yeah, I think this is what happens though. I I tend to be up and down, and obviously I'm up. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like the last few episodes you've been down. Shut oh God, I'm glad I got the up first. Yes, <laughs> it's much better when Aaron's excited about the day. So. When I'm excited about life. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just trying to knock this out so I can go get that right in. <laughs> okay. Great. So how do you know Audrey? How do we? So I we, met her at Fellowship of the Spirit. That that's when did. I met her at okay. Fellowship of the Spirit. We both met at Fellowship of the Spirit, and in December we were going to make before we started doing these things remotely. We were going to make a trip down to Denver and knock a bunch of people out, and then. I had to work, which was weird, and so Audrey was one of those, and I always feel like an asshole when I try and do something, and then I have to cancel. I don't mm -hmm. like canceling, but so now that we learned how to do this shit remotely, we had a chance to get her back on. Heck yeah. And so I know uh, Audrey through my uh, cousin Amy. Okay. Episode three, Amy survived the spinach. Yeah, four. Amy, <laughs> five, I think, but. One of the episodes <laughs> at the beginning. We're like 80 in now, so. Are we? Yeah. Okay. Hi, Audrey. Uh, Hi. So. Yeah, we met at Fellowship of the Spirit. I think we usually start these podcasts the same way, and honestly, a lot of them go the same way. I don't know. But uh, we'd like to know what your for first inter fourth <laughs> first introduction. Oh, my God. <laughs> I think you had too much caffeine today, dude. What was your first introduction to the 12-step world? My first introduction to the 12-step world. Um, yeah, so... I was, let's see, I would have been 26, um, and I I hadn't been drinking or using that long. Um, I got started pretty late in life, I around 20, mm -hmm. um, but it just, uh, it, it got me pretty quickly, mm -hmm. took over pretty quickly, um, and I've lived in Denver. I had been living in Denver for a while and York Street was very close to where I was living. And somehow I always knew that that was, that was a 12 step club, basically. Mm -hmm. You just um, saw a bunch of old men outside smoking cigarettes yeah. all the time. And you're like, well, that's where the 12 steppers meet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so that was my idea of what, you know, what one of those programs would be. And so I put it off for quite a long time because mm -hmm. I was like, there's no way that I would uh, belong in a place like that. Mm -hmm. So 
Uh, and I also happen to date a fellow alcoholic who lived right next door to oh, okay. York Street. So we would nice. uh, look over from the balcony and see that. <laughs> <laughs> With some sort of morbid curiosity about what the hell's going on in those. I used to, yeah. I had been in AA when I was like uh, 20. And then so I knew where the clubhouse was and I would drive by and see him out smoking and curse those losers for being losers and how sorry and sad their lives must be as I'm going to find dope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Being completely blackout drunk, looking down at them basically. Yeah. 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 Did you yeah. have any previous idea of what a 12 step program was? Like I know Aaron kind of grew up around them and kind of knew what they were. I personally, I got sober at 26 as well. And I had, no idea what it what it was or what people did there. I didn't know anything about it. Did you have any previous experience or idea of what happened there? Or was it just kind of like, that's a place where 12-step people meet and that's as much as I know? That's as much as I know. Yeah. yeah because I did not grow up around it. Um, it's not in my immediate family. So it's not something I knew about. It was based, anything I knew, it was from movies or books, basically. Okay. Um, and I had tried other things, you know, I tried a dual diagnosis program um, and it had been suggested to me multiple times by those doctors that I go into a 12-step program that uh, the dual diagnosis was not going to help me the way that I needed help. But I mean, I put that off uh, because so, yeah. I didn't think I'd fit in. So Right. What was the tipping point for you to go, you know what? I got to do it. I got to participate. I got to check it out. Like, was it um, something gigantic? Was it just a waking up hopeless? Like what happened where you were like, I got to do something different? Yeah. So I went out to um, an old friend's wedding out in Malibu by myself thinking I was going to be able to handle it you know I was like I, that's what independent women do is they go do these things by themselves um and it was it was a disaster so I mean I started drinking in the hotel room before the wedding even started and then was drunk during the ceremony and then blackout during the reception and I definitely ended up in the ocean at some point (laughs) um and I woke up the next day in a soaking wet dress alone in the hotel room not knowing what I did and For some reason, I mean, I'd done terrible things before. This was not actually even the worst of it. But for some reason, on the plane ride back, um, something switched. Hmm. And the difference was normally when I would do something like that, when I'd have an event like that, I would push it down so deep Hmm. inside and convince myself that I didn't actually partake in that. (laughs) Um, This time, I was forcing myself to think about it and forcing myself to try and find those blacked out moments mm-hmm. and forcing myself to feel the the shame. Um, and after that, I, I went home and I told my, uh, I visited my mom and dad and I was like, something's got to change and I've got to go to AA. Um, that, that, and honestly, I mean, I had another six months of being in AA, um, in that 12 step program and still drinking and using. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was what got me there. That's not what stopped me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. I think the next logical question is then what stopped you? Like, what was Mm -hmm. the, what was the tipping point between like making meetings and drinking and like, how did you 
get recovered, I guess. Yeah. yeah get into the so, work, you know. Sure. Yeah. So, um, as many people have said, there it's a special kind of hell to be in a program and still drinking and using. Um, to be on that fence is is horrible. It's uh, it's worse than any feeling I had when I was actively just drinking and using. So, I put myself through that, you know, that for six months, and then um, there it was a New Year's uh, a New Year's Eve. Um, and we were off work and I had an ex-boyfriend reach out and say, do you want, it was the middle of the day. And he said, do you want to come hang out? We're watching a game. Um, we're drinking, we're doing cocaine. Um, just come party with us. And basically I had convinced myself uh, that I wasn't going to do anything that New Year's. Mm. Um, and as soon as he said it, any resolve I had went away. I was yeah. like, yeah. yeah. Well, that sounds like a good New Year's day, I guess got to <laughs> say. <laughs> I get it. Like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Football and drinking and cocaines. Right. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> so I dropped anything I was doing, got in the car. He lived 40 minutes away, drove there, uh, stopped at the liquor store, got a huge thing of vodka. Um, and that, I mean, that we partied basically from two in the afternoon until six the next day. And I, the drive home from that, that was it. That was it. That's an icky feeling when you're not trying to quit, let alone when you are trying to quit. Yeah. Yeah. It was brutal. And um, so I guess that actually would have been the day before New Year's Eve. And then New Year's Eve, I tried to like, I went to a concert and I didn't, I was so sick and so um, hungover from that experience. I didn't drink anything. And I had this feeling where I was just like, I cannot do one more year of this because mm -hmm. I, I couldn't believe how many New Year's it had been my resolution to stop. Mm -hmm. um, and finally, I was like, I can't do another year. Wow. Um, and just like there's a my parents are really involved in this, you know, because I'm in it with a very tight knit family. Um, and yet again, I was driving to my parents house to see them and uh, told them I was like, this is it, I can't do it anymore. And it really was. Um, so January 1st, 2017 is my sobriety date. Wow. Um, so that really was the last of it. But it all it took was um, an experience that I'd had multiple times, you know, that with that ex boyfriend. And that's, that's what set me over, but maybe it was the monotony of it. It was, it was so clear to me that this was what was going to keep happening. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe that's what I needed. So well, go ahead. I just can relate with the, the understanding of this is what's going to keep happening. Like um, there's some hopelessness in that, that it's, I don't know, for me, a, a level of defeat that there's just nothing I can do. I've tried, tried to do a lot of things, tried a lot of ways and, I'm I'm clearly beaten at this point. <clears throat> yeah, a hundred percent. I used to uh build up like I'd go periods where I'd kinda get my shit together and stuff and then tear it down and my last drunk was a big tear down again and I remember <laughs> feeling the same way though of just like, Oh, this is just what my life exists of now is I just kind of get my shit together, kind of show a little promise and then I just fuck it all up and tear it all down again. And then I restart and that's just the cycle I'm in for the rest of my life. So I definitely can identify. Yeah. Um, so what, how did you, did you come across Amy early on? Was she the, a person that you met or did you 
find a different sponsor? Did you just start going to meetings? Like what kind of happened where you go, you know what, I'm going to actually do the work. I'm going to try to fully participate. I know I'm done. Like what does that period look like for you? Yeah. So, I mean, during that on and off six month period, I did have a sponsor. Um, and then I ended up, I would, I, during that time, I kept saying that I was relapsing, but I wasn't relapsing. I was just consistently still drinking. Yeah. Um, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't have a period of recovery in that time. And so it wasn't relapse. Right. <laughs> so um, I would hide that and then eventually come clean to that sponsor. And that happened over and over and over again to the point where we just parted ways because mm-hmm. it was obvious it wasn't working. Um, I got an amazing temporary sponsor for my first month of real sobriety and she helped me just kind of stay on track until I could find um, a sponsor and then Amy is someone that I knew all that time Um, and I really respected her and we happened to be sitting together in a meeting uh, early on a Saturday morning and it was just the two of us before anyone else came in and I had told her what was going on, how I had this great temporary sponsor, but I was trying to find somebody because I was really ready. And she said, I would love to sponsor you. I've always had a soft spot for you. And that changed everything. Mm -hmm. Um, We are very similar in a lot of ways, very different in a lot of ways, but the relationship has been incredible. And having someone who knew what they were doing and is so intelligent and so connected to that, to the work, um, that's what, you know, that really set me, set me on a good path. She knew just what she was doing. She was really active in it. I needed someone to show me the right way to do this. Um, And she did that. She did that. So beyond being a sponsor, she's become an amazing friend. Um, and what she says is now we can walk shoulder to shoulder. Right. You know, she, we, she took me through the work and now we're, now we're just right next to each other. And it's, it's amazing. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really like that dynamic and that's something the literature talks about walking shoulder to shoulder. Just for me, it was, it's tough. Like when I have a, you know, like a teacher, like you had an Amy, it's tough for me to not want to put them up on a pedestal and then you know thus being disappointed eventually because they are human and uh one thing i've been able to experience this time around is you know through all of the men who have been willing to take me through the work is more of a shoulder-to-shoulder relationship Mm -hmm. so that that doesn't happen so that's good stuff i was going to ask you about your parents um did did they have did you have any other family members that had any problems with alcohols like the crazy uncle or when you came along, was this just something that they had never uh, even dreamed of and had experience with? And, and I mean, were they were they just as defeated as you or what was what was their role through all of this? Yeah, so that that's interesting. Um so it definitely they'd had experiences with it because I do have, you know, I've got the crazy uncle, I've got a, the crazy aunt <laughs> that do have problems with it. Um, but they never, I don't think they ever thought <laughs> that I was, it was going to be me. Right. Um, you know, it's not what they'd ever hoped or planned for me or anything like that. But I was the one, because um, I was also the one with the depression, you know, from an early age, and I would act out from an early age. Um, And that was a little bit different than my brother, for sure. So they, I think at first, they really didn't know what to do with it. I remember when I was living with them, um, right after college, 
And I mean, it was pretty obvious I had a problem, but it was, I mean, alcohol was just still in the house. Um, and we were still finding, trying to find ways around it, trying to find uh, the problem that was going on deep inside, but alcohol wasn't really addressed yet. Um, but I will say that they have been my number one supporter because once it was very clear that that was the problem, they were a hundred percent behind me to do whatever I needed to do. Mm-hmm. And they actually came with me to my first meeting mm-hmm. at York street, which I feel embarrassed about now. Um, the two of them sitting next yeah. to me. <laughs> I have all kinds of experience yeah. with that. <laughs> I also didn't have a license. So for a first few months, my parents would have to drive me to meetings <laughs> oh because, because when I started, when I got sober, I had lost the place I was living in, and so I had no place to live either. And so <laughs> my parents allowed me to live in their basement, and then they would drive me to meetings and then sit oh in God. there. So kind I was like in junior you. high yeah. again. Yep. Yeah, I remember feeling like immediately – I say this all the time, and it's no offense to my parents because my parents, similar to yours, were – so incredibly supportive once they got an understanding of what was going on. And Mm -hmm. for the longest time, they thought I was just fucking up because I just didn't care and stuff. But then when they Mm -hmm. realized like that, I, that I am an alcoholic, I remember them having this change in perspective and then they were super supportive. But I always joke that, um, my life dramatically got worse when I quit drinking because I felt like I was fucking 14, you know, like living in the basement. My parents give me rides everywhere. They go to meetings with me, you know, it's like, oh my God. That is so, so funny. I totally understand what you're talking about. Oh my God. Yeah. That is funny. And what's worse is like today, people that knew me back then, like that met me in the program or like, I still remember when your dad would go to a meeting with you and it's like, Oh my God, dude. Oh my God. People don't forget. No, they don't, especially (laughs) something like that. So it was good though. I needed humbled. So that, that was really humbling because I was always like, like you said, I'm independent. I do shit on my own. This is how it is. So it was nice to have to rely on people and, and stuff. So I, I have a good perspective about it now for a while. It sucked, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's this feeling of um, there's definitely some humility tied to it. Mm-hmm. But then it, it kind of was my first experience with having to be vulnerable and rely on other people. Yeah, mine so, too. Yeah, big time. When you look back and you said that you didn't start drinking until you were 20, but that you had suffered from some depression and acting out at a young age, Looking back, do you think that was some of the restless and irritability and discontentment that comes with untreated alcoholism? You just didn't have the alcohol as a solution. Have you like taken a look at that? Absolutely, a hundred percent. And when I tell my story, that's what I always say because um, I talk about just how I did not. I wanted to live in any other time period and be any other person than who I was. Um, and I felt that way from when I was little to when I was now, basically, you <laughs> right. know? Yeah. um, and now I just know how to handle it, mm-hmm. but yeah. And the, the, the depression and the inability to work with people and to feel comfortable with people, um, all of that was, it was all part of the reason why I started drinking, mm-hmm. you know, and that, that truly, because the alcoholism started long before I started drinking. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. Do you have another one? 
I thought you did. I thought you were going to follow up with it. But <laughs> I didn't have a follow up. Um, yeah, I think for for a lot of us, I mean, I know for me, the people that I tend to gravitate towards have that internal condition that you're talking about of like feeling for my, I felt inadequate or just like something was off for a long time. Um, do you do you remember when that changed? Like it did something happen where... Or was it like a gradual change where you look back and you're like, wow, like it's just different? Or was, you know, for me, like the the whole spiritual experience for me was kind of this slow process. But was was your, do you have like a moment where you go, wow, I'm, I'm different than I used to be or I feel different or anything? Yeah. Um, so I distinctly remember. So when I was driving to my parents' house after that New Year's and... It's a street I had driven my entire life and I was driving along it. And all of a sudden I had this thought, why don't you deserve this? Mm. And because for so long I had convinced myself that I needed to lose absolutely everything in order to deserve sobriety, Mm. that that was the only way that I could get sobriety. Um, And then this, that this, you know, it's that innate thought that came to me and it was that and it was this feeling that no this is the time to stop because you do not have to lose everything in order this is the time to start rebuilding before everything's gone so that was a I mean I will always remember that as a changing point for sure but then it was a slow process after that um to be comfortable the way I'm comfortable now it's taken this entire time um and it's still going but who it's that thing where I don't think I could even see all the little things that have come together to make me who I am now Mm -hmm. it's been such a slow and a day-by-day process um which is pretty cool actually but I'll I'll always remember that that thought and that feeling of being on the street I've always known Mm -hmm. um (laughs) but something was different. I, I struggled with, um, thinking also that I needed to go further down the, down the, uh, rung or whatever, Mm -hmm. because, uh, I just, I compared myself to others and, um, I fortunately or unfortunately, we had an uncle that was just had a hard time getting it together all the time. And I, you know, I would look at that or I would look at other people and I'd be like, you know, or the people that I would buy drugs from and be like, these people, <laughs> they're bad. You know, I'm okay. Like I'm, and my life was <laughs> totally com- complete and absolute <laughs> insanity at the time. And I was clearly to any observer, uh, just completely hopeless. And, 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 uh, but in my mind, uh, I always look to that other thing and it's a, I don't know, that moment of clarity and that being okay and being beaten, I guess, is what allowed me to get in. And fortunately for that, you know, uh-huh. uh, when Amy took you through the work, was it, uh, we talked to uh, Dr. Brett last week and he, he, I think they just read through the book and when they get to a step, you know, they come to some action, they take it. And, but we had a little bit of a timetable, but like, how did Amy take you through the work? Did you guys have a set uh, schedule? Do you guys meet every week? Um, was there a certain time when you had to have things done or was it a little more organic than that? Yeah, it was a mix. So we did meet every week. Um, I want to say every Wednesday or Thursday. 
And she did want to get me uh, moving pretty quickly because those six months, it had been very obvious yeah. that, um, <laughs> you know, that she needed to get me to at least a higher power. Mm -hmm. uh, I needed to, I needed to find a uh, higher power uh, sooner rather than later. Mm -hmm. um, so we, and it helped that I wanted to do it, that I, I now had that something inside of me where I was excited about the steps. And that was very, very different. Um, yeah. So we, within nine months, I was through the steps. Mm -hmm. Um, so it was, and like when we got to inventory, when we got to the rougher stuff, I wanted to do it yeah. because I wanted to feel the relief. Um, so, and it helped that we liked each other, that it was organic to, to work together and that these, you know, it was easy, um, which was not, had not been my experience with my first sponsor. So I wanted to do it mm -hmm. is what it comes down yeah. to. Uh, and I'm, you know, I wouldn't. I wouldn't take that back for sure. I would do want to go through it again at some point mm -hmm. and just see a different experience, but it's exactly how it was supposed to be. Yeah. Now, what is your 12 step like today? Are you sponsoring women? Do you take them through in a similar fashion as you were taken through? Have you picked up things from other, you know, like what does that 12 step look like? Cause I know for me, the way I originally went through the work and then I've had multiple experiences going through it again since then. But now I, I kind of have drifted back towards how I was originally brought through the work, which is kind of interesting. And part of that is because the guy who took me through the work is someone I really look up to and value. And, and he didn't force anything on me. He was very low-key and relaxed about it. Just kind of let me take it through like you were talking about, you know, the uh -huh. just the propelling forward needs to come from the person doing the work is what I've found mm -hmm. out and not from the sponsors. But for a while I was trying to do it the other way around, but what does your 12 step look like today? Yeah. So it's changed. Uh, it, you know, it naturally changes, uh, based on the experiences that I've had since I first started mm -hmm. sponsoring. So I do sponsor women. Um, and, some have been successful, some have not been successful. And I have found that the ones that des that do desperately want to do it, they're the ones that are successful. So, and I do it the way that Amy taught me to do it because that was proven to work. Um, and I, it's been really interesting. I've had the experience of, you know, sponsoring women in sober houses, sponsoring women that are out and it's always, it's always a little bit different, mm -hmm. but I try and always have two to three. Um, and they're always in different places. And then that keeps me kind of in every step. Mm -hmm. And then I also, um, through a different 12 step program, I go to recovery houses and bring meetings to those. Mm -hmm. And so that's been incredibly beneficial to me because that's how I have met women that I otherwise would not have met. And that's that huge connection piece. That's that, that's kind of the meaning of this whole thing to me is to feel that common connection with women that I, I probably would have been afraid of, honestly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and just to be able to sit down and really and to laugh and connect and, and feel, feel like friends. That's been, that's been incredible. Mm 
obviously with this whole thing we're dealing with right now, all of that's been put a little bit on hold. I've been, I'm trying not to judge anybody too harshly about um, where they're going in their steps because everyone is dealing with isolation in a different way. So I'm trying to be a supportive sponsor, but I'm also, I'm not trying to force anybody that doesn't want to be doing what what they need to do right now. So mm -hmm. I, I'm in a weird place right now too. I'm, I'm in a place I've never been before mm -hmm. um, with sponsorship. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's kind of been a hard thing. Because like I have, you know, before all of this happened, I was working with four guys and we'd meet every week. And you know, three of those guys have been through the work with me. So now, you know, two of them have kind of drifted off, mm -hmm. which is fine, you know, and I haven't had to like, chase them down or anything. But then it's it's kind of a unique thing to what I found is like um I don't have nearly as much control as I kind of illusioned that I had over working with my sponsees and stuff you know it's like one guy we were outlining the fourth step and then all of this happened and he's still doing his fourth step and he's working on his sex inventory now and like we haven't been meeting face to face but like the work's still getting done and mm -hmm. it's giving me, it's reinforcing that like I really don't have that much to do with it. And this guy is going to go through the work at the pace he's going to go through it no matter what is going on. And that's kind of been a cool experience. So, Yeah, it's definitely forcing us uh, to take the control out of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. 100%. What about, so like one thing we like to ask people in the 11th step, it talks to us, it says we can get useful prayers or... Was it say prayers or literature from priest rabbis and and rabbis? Rabbis. Delicious rabbi. I'm just saying. <laughs> there's plenty of stuff you can get from a good rabbi. Plenty. Oh, and, something else. No, uh, killing it today. Oh, yeah. If I could use one word to I'm describe like, today, it'd be winning. Just so you know, I for will ever. I will forever read that as ribeyes from now on <laughs> if that's ever in, a, in the topic i will read it as ribeyes oh man i think uh let me priest and ribeyes yeah let me just let me just say this i was you know trying to quote the literature and be official and i couldn't so because good. i don't ever read the, the literature anymore so but honest yeah I like that. yeah but basically, you know, when I started this time, I was really raw and weird. And right from the beginning, Amy had suggested that I read The Untethered Soul. And uh, I wasn't into reading, but I, I went and I didn't have Audible. I didn't have shit. I mean, I was like a week sober. What did I have? I had a library card, though. And so I went to the library and I rented it on uh, CDs. And I would listen to it in the morning because I was waking up at 4 o'clock in the morning. And I didn't have shit to do anyway. So I'd wake up in the morning and, li and listen to that. And it, I don't know, it, just, it was the right thing at the right time, and it really impacted me. I was just wondering, outside of our AA literature, is there stuff that you like to read or use as a resource to, you know, uh, add to what you've already got going on within the 12 steps? Yeah, so I do do um, meditation just through, you know, Spotify and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I do love doing that. But honestly, so I love to read and I've always loved to read since I was little. It's a huge thing for me. And so this, I get so much um, inspiration and insight from reading 
history. Mm -hmm. Um, so rather than going, I mean, like I'm not reading self-help books or anything like that because I honestly believe it's always the same stuff over and over again. Yeah. Just word a little differently. um, Yeah. And so I get so much from, I read a lot about what's happened before us Mm -hmm. and that's, that for some reason that, cause that just gives me perspective and that always shows me, um, what we've come like where we are now, what we've, what we've made it through. Um, and that's, that's the stuff that I, I feel like really lifts me up. Um, yeah. And so I'm always, I'm always doing a different, different history book usually to try and give me perspective, uh, rather than going to anything, uh, religious or self-help or anything like that. So what's a couple suggestions that you would throw out there as some of your favorites? So I just read, it was called the river of doubt. Um, and it was about Teddy Roosevelt, uh, in the Amazon. And this was actually after he'd already been president. So then he just decides in his old age that he's going to do a trip down an uncharted river in the Amazon. And it is just, it's amazing. Um, And it's that I love reading about these people that have completed so much in their life and they just keep searching for more. Mm -hmm. Um, That's, that's what gives me inspiration. So that. You know, and it also makes me really grateful for where I'm at now. Um, <laughs> sometimes you just need the you need to hear about some terrible experiences, and then you you have some gratitude. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Go ahead. Oh, is there a is there a, a certain time in history that you're favorite to read about that you're most interested in that just I don't know piques your interest more than others? Um, I love a lot of it, but honestly, so. It's weird. As I've gotten older, I feel like I've turned into like a 60 year old man. And every time there's like a war documentary, I'm like, oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I like I do like a lot around um, the Civil War and then even going more modern, going around like the Vietnam War mm-hmm. um, and things like that, That's like cool. times uh, times of social change, I guess, right. is and social upheaval. I keep get, trying to get Aaron to read this book, and he, he will listen to it. And I've asked him for like three straight weeks. <laughs> I bought it, and he won't listen to it. It's called Chaos. It's about uh-huh. um, Charles Manson and how the CIA is involved in some of that stuff. It's really interesting, and it's got a whole bunch of stuff around like that time period, Vietnam, right after Vietnam. You know, the Summer of Love and all of this, and then how yes. how this. I don't want to give too much of it away, but it kind of alludes to the fact that there was a lot more going on than than what people know. And it was it's a hell of a book. And I've got like forty pages left, but it is really good. It's incredibly I've heard well of it. Yeah, it's incredibly well sourced too, right? Because yes. he was on the the author was on the Joe Rogan podcast. It took him twenty years to research this book. So it's incredibly oh well God. sourced. Yeah. It's not he's just not just shooting out conspiracy. No, theories. he has like seventy four yeah, pages at the back of the book of like documented. where he sourced everything. So it's pretty wild though. So yeah, it's Chaos, Charles Manson and the CIA or something I is the name of definitely, it. Definitely yeah, I've heard about that and I definitely want to read that too. Cause I'm also I love anything with true crime, murder, all of that. I love that. So Mm -hmm. that was actually on a murder podcast I listened to and they said it was incredible. It is. Yeah. I, (laughs) I, uh, I do a lot of reading and uh, just try to get anything, but this has been one of the better ones I've 
listened to or read it recently. It's really good. So mm-hmm. that's one for you and Aaron. Fucking good. get on it, dude. I, I mostly <laughs> I mostly listen because I'm driving all day and driving and reading just doesn't really work. And uh, uh, I I was getting into a little bit to Dan's hard, hard Dan Carlin's hardcore history. Mm-hmm. He had like a, I don't know ten hours on World War One or maybe it was more than that. Maybe it was like thirty hours on World War One. But it, that was one of those things where you were talking about where it made you glad that you were here in the here and now because mm-hmm. World War One sounded absolutely terrible <laughs> for those involved. Yeah, sounded yeah. like a rough way to live. Well, and I think like one of the biggest things too, is you see that people have gone, you know, it feels like the world may be ending right now. It feels crazy right now. Then to get that perspective that people have gone through worse Mm -hmm. before us and made it out, you know, that's what helps keep, keep me going sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's perspective. A guy I went to school with teaches history in Indiana and he had made a comment and this was, this was a few weeks ago when like the newness of, I don't want it if that's even the right term, but I, we didn't know how serious things were going to be. And then things sort of really set in and we're like, Oh, this is our life now. And for Mm -hmm. me at the time, there just seemed to be a heaviness. And he had posted something about that on Facebook and how he used to uh, look at pictures of people during the depression and how they looked so old and so tired. And, you know, he had a little better understanding of how that might be. If life Mm -hmm. is just weighing on you all of the time, Mm -hmm. it's going to, you know, have an impact. Yeah. So, yeah, that Steven Pinker, have you guys ever heard of him? Yes. You, I think I'm sure you have. Is, yeah. He he wrote this book where basically he talks about where even though all of it appears bad, we're probably living in the best time that people have ever lived in our entire history of wow. humans. And, and then has all of this proof behind it and stuff. But it's mm-hmm. like, it's just a perspective. You know, if I look at everything negatively and this is the end of the world and this, and then he has like the, the other perspective of like, actually, even though more news is getting out there, it's less happening than it's ever happened before. And, and like wow. this really positive message out of it. So I don't remember the name of that book, but Steven Pinker wrote it. I do know that, but you have it no <laughs> i was like you probably have it and haven't listened to it what what what, yeah. what i do i have a lot of books on audible that i haven't listened to i uh or i get started on them i had one for christmas that i downloaded it was uh uh it was sort of a history book it's um um howard zinn's a uh, people's history of the united states uh-huh. i was like oh man 31 hours this is going to be great and I started in on it, and I just couldn't. I just like, <laughs> gave up. Uh, yeah, I couldn't do it. Um, what else, though? Like, I think Amy said you're you're a bit of a romantic. Am I fucking putting words in her mouth? Is like, what else? <laughs> what else? Like, what else do you? What else do you enjoy doing? Like, what else yeah. do you? What else are no, you she's... like loving about your sober life? Like, what else is getting you excited about waking up today? I mean, other than sitting in your house right now because it's a pandemic. But oh say God, it wasn't yeah. the pan- say, if it weren't a pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> she she is right like I am um a romantic in the sense that I kind of have my head in the clouds you know and I I I like I don't know I always kind of lived in a fantasy growing up Mm. but um I kind of try and not do that now (laughs) I keep myself more grounded in reality so I definitely the thing I love about sober life 
I just, the joy I get from just little moments and just, and I remember this, it's before I was living with my boyfriend and I was still living by myself in this little studio apartment and just sitting, um, I'd gotten all this furniture because my grandma had passed away, which was not a good thing at all, but I felt like I was surrounded by her and all of a sudden I had a home um, and just this, I got this warm fuzzy of just sitting in one of her chairs with my cat And I just was like, this is what life is supposed to be about is feeling these moments. And that's been one of the, that gives me so much joy through sobriety. And if I can slow down and actually feel it, that, that keeps me going, you Mm -hmm. know, and, um, just getting to wake up and I don't, I haven't felt that sick feeling in my stomach, that regret and that shame. I don't think. I, I have definitely felt it early on in sobriety because I was still dealing with some yeah. of the, you know, like some of the issues. Yes. Um, but now I'm, I have not experienced that. And that is an incredible thing. <laughs> that was a daily feeling. Um, and I thought that was just the rest of my life was shame and regret. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's the the it's amazing the uh, uncomfortableness that we can get used to living in. I mean, it's mm-hmm. no wonder why that life is so draining. Not just the physical of what we're doing to ourselves, but all of the rest of the stuff that comes with that and having to carry that shit around daily. Oh my God, yeah, that emotional baggage yeah. and just like going to work after being up since six in the morning and thinking a shower was going to wash away that smell and it, oh my God. And barely being able to keep my eyes open at my desk. I, you know, it's, and I, I get that, that warm, fuzzy feeling, even when I walk into my office now and I'm just like, oh my God, like I'm, I'm here and I'm present and I'm not worried someone's going to find me out. And just being able to, I feel like all those Although I had all these pieces of me and I always had to kind of shuffle through those pieces and pick the one that was going to work for whatever situation. And now it's just this feeling of all of those came together mm-hmm. and it's one and I don't have to shuffle through any of those anymore. And it's just kind of this, I, I know now I can just be myself. Um, and so that exhaustion of having to always shuffle is gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Like a, like a reading, our literature talks about like the double life. And I always was like, I, I have like a dozen, you know, that yeah. I'm like, yeah. okay, oh well, yeah. I'm this guy at work. And then around these people, I'm this guy. And then I'm this weird, you know, weirdo at home. And like today, I'm very comfortable with like just being me and not mm-hmm. having one thing be like the identifying. That's what I was thinking about a lot recently. Megan and I were, I don't remember what we were watching, but it was like, I don't have to have one thing be my identity and I can be into running and reading and, you know, all of these other things, like be a multifaceted, well-rounded person. And, and for a long time, I always thought there was something like other people didn't do that and they were this thing, you know, and I was very judgmental and like, I'm finding that like, just being me and being interested in a lot of different things is kind of what makes me me and people if I stay that way, people are drawn, the people that I want to attract are drawn to that. You know what I mean? And I, I spend totally. a lot of my time pretending to be something and attracting people that are interested in the thing that I'm pretending to be. 
and I'm not even that guy, you know? <laughs> yeah, and then, so you don't want to be around that. Exactly. Yeah. I hate all these people. Yeah. And then I have to be a phony all the time and pretend. And like, it's just exhausting. And to be oh, able yeah. to be just a, a myself and a normal person and comfortable with that and not hide anything about how I was living two days ago, you know? Yeah. Like, oh, I just God. like, oh, you know, you see someone in like, I was a horrible blackout drinker, you know, and so I would blackout for days and like not knowing if someone ran into, you know, and then like always having this uncomfortable underlying thing of like, did you see me two days ago? And was I nice to you? You know, like, oh, totally. Just yeah. all of that is gone and I can just be comfortable in the person I am. Like that is probably the best thing that's happened in my recovery is like, I've kind yeah. of found out who I am and I'm okay with who I am and I'm. And when I'm that person all the time, I end up finding people that are interested in me for me, you know, that was a long yeah. rant, but I, I love no, that. No, it's about true. It's yeah. true. And one of the big things too, is finding that you can be interested in all these different things and you don't necessarily have to be really good at them. Yes. Um, that's yeah. been like a huge, yeah. um, a, a huge experience for me in sobriety is because I always thought I had to be the best mm -hmm. if I if I did something I had to be the best at it or I quit um, <laughs> yeah. yeah which is pretty hard to do when you're drunk all the time and yeah. so then I just didn't do anything yes exactly Aaron and I talk about that all the time so much <laughs> oh yeah and so now I do feel like I have all these interests and I genuinely enjoy them I love running I'm terrible at running mm -hmm. and yeah. but I I really enjoy it and it's it's just you know, it's, it's life. It's just living a life. Um, yes. it's, it's pretty cool. It is. Yeah. If you love running so much on September 26th this year, <laughs> um, Kyle, myself, Amy and Jenny, um, are going to do a marathon up here in Cheyenne because, uh, it's going to be unsupported because the one we were going to do got canceled. So I was like, cool, we're out of it. And Amy's like, hell yeah. And Kyle's like, nope, <laughs> I'm still doing it. And I was like, damn it. So then we oh had to God. do it. And, uh, I think our buddy, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but our buddy Jeff might be doing a half for that day. Megan's going to do a half. I Megan's think Megan's probably going to do a half for that day. So you just bring your little ass up. Oh, Dr. Brett's going to come up, I yep. think. And you just that come sounds up pretty and, amazing. Actually, yeah. I would do, I would do, I would try for a half. Yeah. Like, yeah. There's no way that there's no way. That and I know awesome. myself. There's no way that I'm going to do a full. We're putting Audrey down for a half on the 26th of September. Yeah, just get with Amy. You guys can all come up together. You we're guys gonna, can carpool. We're going to map it. We got it mapped out, kind of the loop, we think, roughly and stuff. And so it'll be like, oops, oops. a half marathon loop. And then you'll do another half marathon. I love that. So well, yeah. you guys will. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So you're more than welcome. Come up. I Like I said, I think we'll have a few people doing halves and other people doing full ones. Cool. So, that yeah. sounds awesome. Yeah, it'll be fun. I'm excited for it. Yeah. And I'm glad that. Cause yeah, Aaron was like, "We're quitting," and I was like, "Dude, I'm doing it." And he was like, "Fuck, I guess I'll do it too." And so, yeah, and then I told Am I told Amy that, and she was like, "Yeah, you got enough Alan on in you. You're doing it." And she was like, "But so do I." Yeah, all of you guys. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm bad. I qualify for that family yeah, fellowship. He does. Yeah, he does. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. Um, I think we're about an hour in. We're we're yeah. getting there. Aaron, is there any other things you have, or Audrey? Do you have anything that you wanted to discuss before we wrapped up today? God, I don't think so. I came into this pretty like open yeah. to whatever happens. So. Right. 
Yeah. I don't know. I just enjoyed your smile is very genuine and just your energy is. And it's Thank like, you. um, I wish that I, maybe it will come through, but like, there's sort of an energy that you get from people. And, you know, I got it from you when we were at fellowship of the spirit, you know, and I, that's how I know that the, the 12 steps work. And that's mm-hmm. how I know when I see, um, you know, God coming through people and I just get that from you. So thanks for being Thank on you. the podcast. Thank yeah. You. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's yeah. been fun. It is. Yeah. It's good to catch up and, um, yeah, get with Amy and we'll plan out the marathon details, but yeah, that thank you. Great. Thank you so much for coming on. I eating yeah. up your Sunday morning. I really appreciate it. So, Oh, it's been, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Awesome. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Sounds good. Bye. Bye. Do you know how to do that? Stop.